Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the vine. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bindings. If my calculations are correct, this is our triumphant return from our June hiatus. It should be the first week of July. I'm Max Lopez and I'm super excited to get into some more Discworld books with you. And today we are going to cover Equal Rights. As always, the Discworld books are written by Terry Pratchett. And Equal Rights follows The Light Fantastic, which I covered in our last episode of May. And it comes right before Mort, which, I, which I'm not even going to get into right now, but we're going to cover next week. And I'm thrilled to be able to do that. Now, this was published on January 15th, 1987, and it is the third Discworld book. And honestly, in my opinion... Uh, this is the first really good one. This is the first one that kind of tackles some bigger philosophy. It kind of covers, it goes a little bit deeper while at the same time having a lot of that same humor and charm that both The Color of Magic and The Light Fantastic have. But telling a little bit more of a consistent story in a way where, um, and, and it's worked into The Color of Magic and The Light Fantastic, but with the nature of the octavo, in those two books, reality is being like shifted constantly. So like, there are points where you're like, wait a second, where, how did they get here? And then you go back and oh, okay. You have to be very aware of the, um, the shift, the altering of the, of reality in order for the Octavo to save the eight spells or to save the one spell that's stuck in Rincewind's head. This is the first one. Uh, this is again. This is a reread for me too. The first five are all going to be rereads for me. Those are the only five I've read, and this is the first one. Like the first two, the, the Color of Magic and the Light Fantastic, they really hooked me because they're so goofy and they're truly like nothing you've ever read before. But this one has all of that and more. And this is where I feel like because I've seen, I watch a lot of uh, videos or uh, uh, like interviews of Terry Pratchett, uh, especially because I love Good Omens. That's like what initially got me into him, uh, and I already had been a big fan of Neil Gaiman, as you all know. And uh, I had read or I had uh, seen from him and through other people that he really starts to tackle bigger philosophies in this very lighthearted way throughout the remainder of his books. And just right here on book three, he really starts to do that with equal rights. So overall, this book starts and you're introduced to a wizard named Drum Billet. Excellent name, by the way. And he's he's about, he's on his deathbed, basically. He's not truly on his deathbed. He actually travels to this village called Badass, which don't even get me started how great that name is. And he's actually having to pass on his, uh, his, his basically his magic power that he's accumulated over the course of his life. He can pass that on um, through the means of his staff that he uh, can give to the eighth son of an eighth son. So 
That's why he ends up in this town. It's because he, or in this village of badass, because he has found an eighth son of an eighth son. Now, in disc, in a lot of mythologies and a lot of books that use magic, seven is often like a like kind of a magical number. But on purpose, Terry Pratchett shifts that to eight here in the Discworld universe, just in order to kind of just add that little different, you know, to just add that little twist of himself into it. As you can, if you think back to the Octavo, that is a that is a series of eight spells as well. And I assume that eight probably continues to play a role through many of these other stories as well. So he needs to find, Drumbillet is attempting to find the eighth son of an eighth son. Well, he does this and he passes his staff and his magical powers on to this, this baby, eighth son of an eighth son. But it turns out that it was actually the eighth daughter or the eighth child, I guess, of an eighth son. Regardless of that, it wasn't a son, and he accidentally passes his um, his powers along to a female child, which has never been done before, because in the Discworld universe, it is against all of the rules for wizards to be women. Witch, uh, witches are women, wizards are men. And we know that in other series, especially like Harry Potter, where witchcraft and wizardry is essentially like the same thing, um, this is not the case in Discworld. Witchcraft is like uh, is one certain type of magic, and wizardry is almost like the manipulation of that magic that we were talking about in the last episode. That like very tangible, like it's it's uh, it's floating through the world. It's something that you can kind of reach out and touch. At least wizards can reach out and touch it. So he accidentally passes this on to this female child. Her name is Escarina Smith, and she becomes our main character. We flash forward about eight or nine years to when she is nine years old, and she is truly struggling because her magical powers are starting to come out, and she's not really able to control it. She's not very aware of the staff um, yet, but very quickly she learns of the staff. And she's starting to, uh, like, accidentally do things. Like, at a certain point, she turns her brother into a pig because he's being mean to her. And, like, it's it's kind of like almost like at the beginning of Harry Potter. If you think about when Harry, like, uh, when Dudley is, like, tapping on the glass at the zoo and he breaks. And then Harry, um, this is actually actually after he used parcel tongue and talked to the... Uh, to the snake, a boa constrictor, I believe, and then the glass gets removed and the snake gets out. Um, Harry is unwillingly using his magic, and Ascarina is doing the same thing at the beginning of the story. So the village witch named Granny Weatherwax, great, incredible name, she is attempting to try to help Ask, which is her name, short for her name, to kind of control herself and actually try and teach her in the ways of witchcraft instead of wizardry. Now, this becomes increasingly difficult because both the wizard magical ability and the witch magical ability are trying to get out and they're almost like working in tandem but at the same time working against each other and Esk really isn't able to control any of it. And so Granny gets to the point where she says, you know what, I can't train you. The wizard power is, is in you. It's not going anywhere. And for the safety of really what seems like all of reality, we need to take you somewhere where they can actually train you. Now, we learned in book one and two of Discworld that that place resides in the 
bustling city of Ankh-Mork Pork, which is, uh, if you don't remember, it's the biggest city in the Discworld. It's like described as just being like a cesspit of smells and fungus and just being really, really gross, like smoky streets. And But the people who live in Ankh-Mork Pork love it. They're like, you know, they're like anybody from any city that's like they're obviously their home. And so uh, she decides that she needs to take her to Ankh-Mork Pork and take her to the Unseen University, which we learned quite a bit about in books one and two. So that's kind of where the adventure begins, where they're taking, uh, where Granny Weatherwax and Ask end up going to travel to Ankh-Mork Pork so that she could attempt to learn wizardry. Now remember, this is a very, the main themes of this are equal rights, and uh, we do learn that the wizards are, I wouldn't say they're like, like they are, I, I suppose you would say they're sexist in a way. They, they're, women aren't allowed to do certain things. There's certainly not like the, the sense that like they hate women or anything like that, but it's still like they're stuck in their old ways. And that becomes a, a huge theme throughout this entire story. It's actually what makes this one really, really worth reading. I'm going to get to a little bit more of that in a, um, as we get to the end of the episode. So, Granny attempts to train Ask, doesn't work out, ends up deciding they need to travel to Ankh-Mork Pork to the Unseen University, uh, where she can actually study and learn under somebody, but then you're having to trust these men and trust that they're actually even going to let her in. So, they eventually get to the Unseen University after making several stops, meeting a couple wizards. They actually meet a boy named Simon, who has like this stutter and him and Ask kind of get along right away and he seems to have a lot of magical ability as well. While they arrive at the Unseen University and they figure out a way in, or at least Ask gets in, and she is denied immediately by the men uh, who, who run the Wizard University. And she's really not even given a chance. She's put on the spot to show her magical abilities and she kind of cracks under the pressure and isn't able to do it. Simon is there as well, and he ends up like really kind of stealing the show, and then S turn comes up, and she doesn't really, she she just doesn't have it in her at that point, even though she is an incredibly powerful with the wizard magic, and she's just not able to do it, and then it kind of crushes her, and this is like, you, you have a feeling that like Granny understood what might happen the whole time. But Esk was not aware. I think Esk thought that she thought she was going to be able to just get into the university and it wasn't going to be a big thing. And instead, she's kind of crushed with uh, with what the expectations of what it takes to get into the university. And and I I could assume like this being the major theme is women's rights and um, taking away those rights and saying you you can do this but you're not allowed to do this is something that um, must be so crushing on a little girl or, you know, a teenage girl or a woman. It doesn't matter, like, when you have your heart set on something and the patriarchy says, no, sorry, we don't let you do that. And then it's like, but why? Well, just because. Like, that's that sucks. I mean, that's not the most eloquent way to say that, but it's just so... Um, it's just so wrong to not give that opportunity to learn or give that opportunity to show something. Um, and, and I think that Terry Pratchett does an amazing job kind of showing the stupidity in all of that, in the patriarchy and the lines that men have drawn and said, well, men do this 
and men can do all of this, but women, you have to stay over here. Or, and, and they, you know, you could think about this in, in terms of racism as well, because those lines have certainly been drawn there throughout time, which, I mean, again, this is just, uh, especially in 2022, you're, you're hoping that some of these things would continue to fizzle out because we can't expect things to go away right away and we can't expect you know, that things were always going to be perfect or like, you know, we can't erase the past, but what we can do is change the future. And if we don't continue to do that and continue to actively have these conversations, you know, read fun books like this that can still help you to see or help you to have kind of an arsenal of ways that you can help to teach other people. Because that's truly what Terry Pratchett is kind of doing here, is allowing you the opportunity to have this discussion in a very lighthearted way. Like, you know, you may have been a, like a, a victim to the patriarchy and not even known it, you know? And then you read a book like this or you hear conversations from from women in society and you say, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. And, you know, maybe somebody I knew went through that. And I think it's really important to be very aware of what everybody's going through and what everybody's been through because people you may know, people you know, not even people you may know, people you do know have, have been through this. Women have, that you know have been through that patriarchy, that you can do this, but you can't do that kind of thing. Or you do this, we don't do that kind of thing. And that's, as we grow, it's important that those types of things continue to fizzle out. I, I, I mean, and this is a personal belief, and I also don't like to tell anybody how to, how to live or what they should believe. I certainly don't prescribe to that at all or subscribe to that at all. But I think it's really important that some of these things continue to fizzle out in order for us to continue to grow as humans. And I just think it's so interesting that Terry Pratchett is able to convey that those ideas and that information in the means of like this lighthearted comedy fantasy book. And I, I really think it's so beautiful. Um, to, this writing is so different than anything I've really ever read before. And I, I, I truly love it for that. So back to the story, I really kind of got into the theme there, and I'll, I, I guess I'll do some more of that at the end as well. Granny, Granny finds another way into the university for Esk in order to try and like pick up some of this magic or pick up a way to control it, I think, is really Granny's, Granny's thing. Because if, she, if Esk doesn't figure out how to control it, something's going to happen and things are going to get dangerous. And this is where some true irony comes in, and where she finds a means to get in, and it's through servitude. So Esk has to work as a servant for these men in order to get into the university, just so she can hopefully try and figure out a way to control this dangerous magic that she's got inside of her. Which is, I mean, the irony that Pratchett's going for there is so rich, like, you know, oh yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you'll figure it out. Maybe you'll be able to control it a little bit, but you're going to serve us anyway. And that's such a, you know, just such a dig at the patriarchy and the dumb things that like the control men like to have over, not even just women, but over each other, just over people just in general. And I, I know that it's a human thing. It, it may be not as always necessarily men and women, but, um, it's certainly outlined here in that way, and I think he does a really good job kind of 
keeping it simple too. Like he doesn't overcomplicate the story in that way. Now Simon here is at the is at the Unseen University as well, and he has like this natural talent for magic, and it comes very very easily for him. His ability to control it, where like. I, I feel like Pratchett's kind of getting at the fact that Simon and S like have the same amount of power, but Simon has this innate ability to control it and S does not. And S is a little bit jealous of that, I think in a way, but at the same time, I think her and Simon get along quite well. And at a certain point, he accidentally opens this entryway into the dungeon dimension and S gets really scared and the staff seeking to protect it because the staff has life uh, like has a life of its own kind of I didn't really get around to that but uh the staff kind of has a life of its own and ends up knocking him into the dungeon dimension and getting him trapped there and that kind of leads us to the major events of the end of the story so a few other characters are introduced there's like a, a wizard who his name's cut angle and he's meant to be like he's meant to be like the figurehead for like the old ways of thinking like kind of like like when they ask well why can't why can't this girl come into the unseen university cut angle is meant to be there in order to say well it's just not allowed there's no reason there's no rhyme there's nothing like that to it and that, that that's very purposely done he's supposed to be like this man this person stuck in the old ways and truly not having a reason why to not change and I think that's a really important character type to have in the story because it shows you that a lot of the times there isn't a reason. And a lot of the times it's just, oh, well, that's that's just the way we do it. And But, like, Cut Angle, he really doesn't have a problem with women. He doesn't have a problem with Esk. I mean, he, he's not, like, a sexist saying horrible things about women or anything like that. He just, that's the way it is. And a lot of the point, I think, going with this theme of women's rights and kind of like this very large theme of change is that people get so stuck in that and it just takes a little pushing and a little pushing and a little pushing for them to say, you know what, you're right, there, there really is no point in it. I don't see why we keep this, let's change it, because... Like I was saying, he's not sexist. He's not saying terrible things about women. Um, but he's unwilling to change, but just just because that is the life he's always known. And especially something like this, where they're talking about this wizardhood, this unseen university is like ancient, you know? So these traditions are ancient and people are afraid to change traditions that are 20 years old 30 years old just because people are afraid of change they're afraid of something be, being different because when things change they don't always work you might have to readjust you might have to start again and that's fine but the fear of change i think is what hinders us through our progression of these types of simple things in the world where it's truly there's tons of people who who submit to this type of patriarchy or um, anything to do with racial issues. They, they submit to it. They don't agree with it, but they just say, well, that's just the way it is. And, 
and it's really just because they fear what the change could be, what it could be for them, um, how drastic it could be. It could, I mean, it could kind of trigger some really bad things to start, but in the end, it could ultimately help us to all grow as humans. And it's really important that we continue to recognize that and continue to be open to change in our society. And I think the first step to that above all is being open to change within yourself because if you're not willing to accept yourself as being flawed in a beautiful way and say well what can i do to change myself to grow i mean we change every day whether you're aware of it or not but what can i actively do to change myself to become the best version of myself that i want to be and once you are able to accept that and start to accomplish those tasks within you, then you can seek to do that to the world around you very closely and then continue to grow out. It's kind of like in, um, in school when we're teaching social studies, it's like this rings of community essentially. And it's like, well, there's me and my family. And then the next ring is my town. And then the re next ring is my state. And then the next ring is my country and then the next ring is my world right so these rings of society these rings of community that we work through and it's essentially like where does that ring start where does that change need to start it needs to change within yourself and then you start working your way out and figuring out ways not to press your opinions not to press your views onto other people but ways to show them like this is how i changed and and i I like this version of myself and I'm going to continue to grow and build and change this version of myself to be what I want it to be and, and more. And how can I continue to project that onto everybody else? Not projecting your views or your opinions, just projecting good change around the world. And I think through that, we can all grow as a whole, which is just so beautiful. It's such an important part of humanity. It's such an important part of how we could live life and the scary part is is this can work in the opposite direction as well where people can close you and they can lock you in a box within your head and that works and then then we're kind of going against the current there which makes things more difficult but remember as that change grows within you that happens too you'll take 20 steps forward and 30 steps back and then you'll take 50 steps forward you know and you're still ahead of yourself um, and that's a, that's a really, truly a beautiful thing. I think that Terry Pratchett does this whole concept such justice. And, and again, in this lighthearted, truly beautiful way in, in a, in a very simple story. If you're going to honestly, people, if you look up Discworld, people have a lot of different like opinions on where to start. There's actually, I just watched a hilarious video about this last night. Because these books don't need to be read in, in order. If you don't want to start with books one and two, which I think, for me, that's where you should start. It kind of gives you an idea of just, like, absolutely the goofiness and, like, what this world is and how silly it is and his writing style. But if you're looking for a little bit more of, like, the philosophies that I believe he's going to continue to hit throughout the remainder of the series, I would I would say this is where to start. Now, I've never really read a passage before, but I really, to get across kind of this point, I wanted to just read the first two paragraphs from Equal Rights because 
I, I think it kind of, it, it really kind of triggered me right away. I mean, I was gonna, I, I already, I had read it before, so I knew I loved it, but I'm going to read it really quick because I think it might give you uh, maybe some encouragement to read this story. This is a story about magic and where it goes, and perhaps more importantly, where it comes from and why. Although it doesn't pretend to answer all or any of these questions, it may, however, help to explain why Gandalf never got married and why Merlin was a man, because this is also a story about sex, although probably not in the athletic tumbling count the legs and divide by two sense, unless the characters get totally beyond the author's control, they might. However, it is primarily a story about a world. Here it comes now. Watch closely. The special effects are quite expensive. And, and I really just wanted to read that because he does this in most of his books where he like sets it up in this way. And I had said it in the last episodes where like he is talking to you and you kind of, you, you, the way he introduces that really kind of sets that tone throughout the entire story. And I think he kind of sums up many of the main points he's trying to get at throughout this entire story. The next one is Mort. And I'm super excited for Mort. Mort is, a lot of people say Mort's the best one. Of the five I read, it's, I mean, it's it's the best one for sure as far as uh, really digging into something that is kind of ugly to look at. And I, I really, really enjoy Mort. So I'm going to be super excited to, to cover that next week. And uh, I'm actually about, uh, I'm about a third of the way done with it right now. I started it yesterday morning. So... I can't wait. I'm thrilled. And uh, I think then we're going to do sorcery and then I'll call it quits on, or call it not quits, but I'll, I'll take a break from Discworld for a little bit. As far as the episodes, I'll probably keep reading them and recording them, but I'm not going to release them all in order like I had talked about in the past. So get a library card if you don't have one. Hopefully they have a bunch of the Discworld books. You should go check one or two out. And as always, I am Max Lopez and this is Beyond the Binaries. <laughs>